0: The scripture reading today is taken from Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh and my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though on...
1: Well, as you are seated, let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful for this opportunity to come and, and to be reminded of who you are and what you've done for us. Lord, we are reminded through each other as we sing to one another. Lord, and also we are reminded through your word. Lord, we thank you that you have not left us on our own but you have given us this, this book, which shows us who you are. God. And I pray that as we see you more clearly this morning, Lord, would you please transform us, make us more like Jesus and help us to be your light to this world. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, Glad to be here. In case you don't know who I am, I am Daniel. I am a, a church planting apprentice uh, that serve kind of uh, the entirety of the of the Christ City Network. My aim is to plant a church next year in Surrey. Uh, so if you are moving to Surrey, would love to love to have you join me. Uh, in that, it's always it's always good to be here. Uh, Brandt and Alvin and and Doug and Jonathan they they speak so highly of you guys and then I'm like really and so I show up I'm like no it's true they they really they really are that good and amazing uh like for example Alvin was talking to Matt who who guest preached last week and and Alvin was like Matt you were only like 30 minutes we our church wants more of you I was like no one ever says that to me <laughs> I preach for 36 minutes and we aim for 35 and they're like pastor, long one today. So anyways, good, good, good to be here. Um, I get the privilege. Brant has asked me to continue uh, your series in the Psalms. And, and the Psalms are, are really quite a powerful book of the Bible. They're, they're filled with this, just this depth of reality. You, you read them and you sense that these are the words of someone who has really lived it feels almost like you're reading maybe a, a personal devotional. It, on one hand, uh, you read it and you're like, man, this is personal and and deep and, and raw, and you feel uncomfortable sometimes reading. You're like, is, maybe, should I be looking into this person's soul like this? And at the same time, you're like, yeah, but I can't look away. Because it, it just feels like they understand who you are and the things you're going through. They, these psalms um express kind of this entire range of emotion joy and and sorrow anger and love hope and despair and sometimes they even occur within the same psalm like like the psalm we're looking at this morning uh there's actually it seems to be two quite very distinct tones here there's there's one of great hope and then one of great anguish and and need and and some commentators even think you know what Psalms seems to be so different in tone that maybe they were actually originally two psalms. And, and I like, though, what, what one commentator, he says, that person who said that forgot what it means to be truly human. We're, we're not these machines who are like, yeah, I know, beep, up poop, boop, okay, I just spit out this emotion, and it's the same always. We're, these emotions in us are, are constantly at, at, at war within us. And so I think what the Psalms do then, not only do they provide an opportunity to to relate to someone else, not only do we realize that there are people who walk with God who experience the same emotions we do, they actually teach us what we should do with our emotions. See, see the secular approach to emotions comes normally in two forms. Either you just full-on accept them. This is what I'm feeling. This is who I am today. You just, you just deal with it. And you just, you just don't hide that. And if you, if you have a problem with the way I feel, well, that's on you. So you guys to just totally accept your emotions or the secular approach is just, just reject them. Just kind of push them down. Forget about that thing that is making you angry or frustrated or, or sorrowful and just kind of pull up your bootstraps and, and move on with life. But the, but the Psalms actually kind of provide this, this middle ground. It, it says it's right and good to experience our emotions, but then the Psalms say we should actually bring those emotions before the Lord. The, the Psalms provide us a, a place of dealing with our emotions before God. We, we let God kind of sort out our emotions and, and help us understand both ourselves better and, and Him better. So I, I think the psalms almost function like like this. So uh, a couple years ago now, I was in the states. We were in the the, um, the state of Kentucky, and and they have this incredibly large fireworks show. Like here in Vancouver, the celebration of lights kind of like reserved and pretty. Down there, they're just like, no, we just wanted this to be big. And so what they do is that you just kind of sit along the, the Ohio River there um, and they're like, you know what, to make sure this is like the biggest fireworks show in whatever region they broke it up as. They're like, we're going to do this not once, but we're going to repeat it right next door. Like you can they kind of go off on these two bridges and you sit in the middle and you can just see this entire display and it's, it's, it's awesome. Like it invokes awe in you. It's, it's incredible. And so I'm sitting there. Uh, my daughter, who's uh, three years old at the time, she's sitting in front of me with her friends. The lights go down and the first fireworks go up into the sky. This is the first time she's ever seen fireworks. They go up. You can hear the, the sound whistling and they explode. And in that moment, she is absolutely terrified. She's like, I have, I've never seen this. What is, what is going on? And she just turns to me. She looks at me. She has this look of terror in her face, and she turns to me. But she says this. She says, "Daddy, why did you bring me here?" <laughs> and it's funny, but I think that is actually what we should do. That's what the Psalms invite us to do. We we have this emotion, but instead of getting up and running away from it, we get up and we run towards our Heavenly Father and we say, why did you bring me here? And we wrestle with those emotions before him. God, is there something you want me to see? What, What am I not Seeing God, help me to know that I'm safe in your arms here, and so that whatever is going on around me, I can actually welcome it and, and learn from it and, and grow through it. So this morning, we're going to be looking at one of those emotions, and actually the emotion we're going to look at is that very emotion my daughter experienced. It's fear. It's fear. So very, very simple verse this morning. One, what is fear? And secondly, then how, how do we deal with it? How do we deal with it? I, I don't think, um, so so firstly, what, 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 is, what is fear? I, I, don't, um, I don't need to convince you that there are lots of reasons to be afraid today. <laughs> between the wars that are going on or about to go on, it seems like, between this pandemic we're still in, that who knows how that's going to progress. The changing morality of our time, climate change, the rising drug scene on downtown Vancouver. There there seems to be this reason to fear. And so I think it's helpful to, to turn to David, who certainly is experiencing great fear. David, if you read this Psalm, the situation in which it arises, you realize that he really is fearing for his very life. His enemies are, are kind of surrounding him. They're, they're encroaching on him and, and they want to kill him. So, so listen to these words. Verse 2 says, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh. He says, this is what they want to do to me. Verse 3, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war rise against me, yet I will be confident. Verse 6 says, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. See, see if back then, if you wanted to be king, that means you had to dethrone the existing king, which is David. This happens more than once, by the way. So we don't know which time David is running for his life here. And, but you, you can't just dethrone the king. You actually have to kill the king. And so I think there's something to learn. David truly has something to say about the way we deal with fear. Now, here's the thing with fear. Fear can actually be a good thing. Right, so when we, um, when we are afraid of something, when something comes against us, uh, we are become fearful and our, and our bodies produce adrenaline and they, they shoot into our bloodstream, our, our muscles tense up, our, our eyesight actually gets more acute, our hearing gets better, all to prepare us to, to protect ourselves right? F- fear on one hand it can be a good thing. So so one um, writer, Elise Fitzpatrick, she says this, look, fear is actually in many ways God's gift to help us live in a fallen and broken world. There are naturally things to be afraid of in this broken world. So, so fear can be a good thing. The, the problem is, is that that's not the only type of fear we experience. See, not only do we experience this fear of of threat to our physical health, we also fear threat to our identity. See, beneath the surface of our lives, there's this kind of rumbling fear of of not living up to our own expectations for ourselves. And there's this fear of, of others not not treating us, not ascribing to us the the worth and and dignity and value that we think we deserve. We want to portray this public image, and so we're fearful not just of what people can do to me, but we're also afraid of what people think of me. Um, In the movie um, Rocky... Um, Rocky Balboa is, is about to, to fight uh, Apollo Creed. And, and listen to him. He, he, he says this. this. is a great example of this inner fear. He says, I can't beat him. I mean, who am I kidding? I ain't even in the guy's league. That don't matter. I don't know how he says it. But he says, because I was a nobody before it really don't matter if I lose this fight. It really don't matter if this guy opens up my head because all I want to do is go the distance. See, if I'm still standing, I'm going to know for the first time in my life, see, that I weren't just another bum from the neighborhood. I mean, he, he's going up against someone who could literally knock him out, split open up, split his head open. And he goes, that's actually not my greatest fear here. I want to prove that I'm not a bum. That's my fear. That the people will think that, that I'm still a, a nobody. It's, it's actually the reason why um, if you survey our society, one of the greatest fears, it's not spiders, not drowning, not falling. Not going to the dentist, although that should be people's greatest fear. It's not even death. People's greatest fear, they say, is is public speaking. (laughs) There's this fear of standing before people right now and and having people evaluate you and think of you in a certain way. and, And you're afraid that your words won't justify how truly amazing you are. And our society is terrified of that. I, I, and I think here's the interesting thing. David actually hints that he is facing that very fear as well. This, this inner, subtle, more deep, though, fear of identity loss. He, he says in, in verse 12, let Let's look at these words here. He says, give me, not up, give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. There's these false witnesses. Not only is there these enemies who want to attack me and kill me, there's also these people who are saying things about me that just aren't true. And you need to know that I'm not that person. They need to know I'm better than that. And and, and the reason then David is terrified of his life or his life of being killed is because if they kill him, he feels that that's going to justify what they actually think of him. You see, if they kill me, they're going to say, yeah, you're right. David didn't deserve to be king. He's not that great after all. So David's saying, no, I, I, need, I need to know that I'm secure. I need to know that my identity is rock solid. I, I, I hate this fear of losing this, this person, this view of myself. And this fear, this subtle fear of, of having our identity attacked, of losing out on our self-worth and dignity, it's always there with us, right? So we, ha- we, we give it, we don't call it fear, we just give it nice names, like, like stress, or I'm anxious. But really, it's just, it's just fear manifesting itself in our lives. So what are you fearing today? What are you fearing today? So if, that, if that's David's fear, then, then second point, how, how do we deal with it? How do we deal with it? I'm going to give us five things. We're going to go through these fairly quickly. But five things that David does to kind of deal with this fear that he's experiencing. He gets personal, firstly. He locates his priority. He looks to the past. He remembers his position. And he becomes patient. Five things, okay? Taking notes, here they are. Number one, get personal. Get personal. Look at verses one to three again. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall light. For God to be light means that he removes the darkness from this world. God is all that is good and true and righteous. There is no wrong or evil in him. He he shows humanity how to live. He's He's a guide to people's feet. He's salvation, meaning that he is the one who delivers people from evil. He he saves people from outward attacks. He's stronghold. He's refuge and safety and rest. Now, I'm thankful to the author, Paul Tripp. He, He says this, if that's all we say about God, we've done bad theology. That's a bad way of reading the Bible because he says, The the point of verses 1 to 3 is not that God is light, salvation, stronghold. The point is that God is my light and my salvation and my stronghold. See, God is not this impersonal being. Who just bubble wraps this world and just protects us from protects all people from all sorts of dangers? That's that's not who God is. The the Bible actually gives no assurance or or comfort for those who are not in Christ, for those who do not belong to God, for those who do not claim God as their own. If you rebel against God or reject Him, there's no salvation offered to you in the Bible even if you're indifferent towards him. There's no comfort there. The, the, the reason David takes comfort, though, is because he says, this God is mine. And so when, when the enemies of mine go up against me, they're actually going up against God. To, the, the, to stop me is to try and stop God, and that's like trying to stop a tank with a tissue, one pastor says. It's like trying to catch... A shark with a piece of floss it doesn't work God belongs to me. God acts for those who are united to him romans eight twenty eight says God works for the good of those who love him of those who love him. if you are not um, a follower of jesus this morning if if god is not yours there is lots of things in this book there's lots of things that i might say or the people around you might say that might serve as a bit of wisdom they might help you with some of that surface level fear that's just god's gift to humanity but to really get at that deep inner fear to solve that god has to be yours he has to be personal so the first thing we do to deal with fear is we get personal. Secondly, we locate our priority. Locate your priority. Look, look at verses 4 to 6. One thing I have asked of the Lord that, I, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, when David says he wants to dwell, verse four, in the house of the Lord, the the, the temple, it wasn't even temple actually yet. It the, the tabernacle back then, this this tent figure where God would meet with his people. It wasn't like some impenetrable fortress, right? It wasn't like there's was like some shield around the the temple that would protect the enemies from coming into David, right? It's not like that you're playing tag, remember as a kid. It's like you hold on to that pole. You're like, you can't touch me now. Holding, holding the pole, right? Time out. It's not, it, David's not saying the temple acts like that. What, what he's saying by, when he says, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord, he, he expands upon it. He says, because that means, verse 4 again, I'll be able to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. See, God would be present everywhere. But God decided that he would specifically manifest his his power and might. His his glory and wonder would specifically be felt in a more powerful way in the tabernacle, in the temple. It's where he would meet with people. We would hear face-to-face. That would be the most intimate place you could be with God. And so just think about that for a second. David is on the run from people who actually want to kill him and he says god one thing god i just want i want one thing this is so convicting god i don't want i don't want you to get me out of here i don't 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 bring me back to my palace don't even defeat these enemies that's not even the one thing i want God, I just want to be with you. God, one thing. I just want to be in your presence, God. I want to see your beauty. Why does he say that? How how can that actually help? Um, I was reading Tim Keller this week. He's a former pastor in New York City. and, And he was talking about the way our emotions work and, and how they serve us. And we reference Augustine. Augustine was this early church father. And Augustine talked about emotions acting like smoke. So emotions are like smoke. And, and what we should do with those emotions is, is fire the smoke back down to, to see what's on fire. See, the the reason that thing is on fire is because whatever that one thing is, is is that thing that we've been putting our hope in. It's that thing we've been looking to, to give us worth and and purpose and identity. And so that one thing is now on fire and I feel threatened. There's there's smoke going up from that thing. And so my my emotions are fully coming out. I'm angry because maybe that will help put this fire out, right? I'm sad, I'm sorrowful, I, I'm worried, I'm concerned that that one thing that I've been hoping for might go missing, might, might be destroyed. And, and what's happened is that one thing, that ultimate thing that is on fire was formerly a good thing that we've now made an ultimate thing. We have made it the, the big thing in our life. So, so having a, a reputation that's upright is good, <laughs> but is that the be all and end all having a good job is important, but does that define you having kids that are successful and have this obedience and proper mannerism? That's that's good. But are we deriving our worth from how our children behave in this world? Health is good, but what happens if that's taken away? Is that, is that all you're relying on? See, see, David says, look, All of those things, my health, my life, my identity, my reputation, if those become my one thing, then everything depends on me. I'm the one who has to protect that thing in my life. But if God, he says, God, if you become my one thing, then that does no longer depend on my strength, but on yours, God. God, if you're my one thing, it can't be taken away from me. So David says, look, God, remind me of you. God, let me just be with you. My worth, my value, my security, my joy, my identity, it's all wrapped up in you, God. So what's your one thing? When you you wake up at, 3 a.m., you can't get back to sleep. What is that thing that you think of? They go, if I would just have this thing, then I'd be able to be at peace and go back to sleep. What's that one thing that you think will, will solve all of your problems, take away all your fears? David says, look, if, if it's not God, then you're leaving something on the table. God is the most satisfying one. God is the most reliable one. God is the most secure one. Oh, if I could just have God, David says. And David wants it so much. He says, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek after it. Right? He says it. He says it over and over again. I'm going to seek after you. I'm going to ask after you. I'm going to inquire after you. Do, you. do you wake up desperate for God? Do you, do you seek after him? Right? We, we no longer necessarily meet with God in, in the temple or the tabernacle. Right? God decided he would most fully manifest himself in Jesus. We come to know Jesus through his word. So where the Holy Spirit helps us see him, remind us his glory and brilliance and majesty, that nothing compares to the God of the Bible. Is that what you long for? Seek after it, run after it. Let all of those other things that are going up in flames pass into the distance. Everything else could be on fire. But if you had God, you would have everything you needed. To fight fear, you have to make God your one thing, your priority. Thirdly, to fight fear, you should look to the past. You should look to the past. As I said earlier, there is a... Shift of tone halfway through the psalm. So if you, if you, as you've maybe heard, verses one to six are quite upbeat. David is quite optimistic here. He believes that God, that God is going to save him. He, he talks about God in the third person. And then verse seven, he shifts and things become very personal. He begins to speak to God in the second person, you, he says. L- listen to verse seven to nine. He says, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and seek me. You have said, "Seek my face." My heart says to you, "Your face, Lord, do I seek? Hide not your face from me; turn not your servant away in anger." Oh, you who have been my help, cast me not off; forsake me not, O God of my salvation. I, I think the the order here, the way David um, prays, if you will, I think the psalm is a psalm of prayer, is intentional. Um, David begins with what he knows to be true about God. And then he begins to plead and ask God for something. It's because David looks to the past and says, God, I know who you are. I've seen what you've done in my life that he says, verse 13, I'm confident. I believe shall look upon the goodness of the Lord. See, um, I I think it's really interesting what we see here. In verse 2, we read this. Let me read it again for us. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, when adversaries and foes, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Those um, same words are used um, in the story of David and Goliath. Uh, Goliath is, is standing on the battlefield with, with David. And, and Goliath says this in 1 Samuel 17. Uh, 1 Samuel 17, verse 44. Sorry, it's not up on the screen, but he says this. Goliath's calling out to David. He says, come to me and I will give you Oh, I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. They'll eat you up, David. But it was Goliath who stumbled and fell. See, See, David is confident in the Lord because he's experienced it. He, he has a history to look back on, and, and that's what's this rock that's underneath of him. See, I think sometimes um, we face the future like this, right? So there's this unknown, or there, maybe it's known, there's this thing in our, in our future, it's, it's big and daunting. We kind of face up. We size it up. We, we plan the route. We think through, okay, I'm going to do that and that. And, and we have it all laid before us, chest out, chin up, and, and we walk forward in boldness. And I think David here is saying, actually, maybe the better way to move into the future is not walking forward, but it's actually walking backwards. What, what if instead of caring about what is out there in front of us, we turned around and looked at what God had done in our past? And we say, God, I see the way you cared for my daughter when I didn't know if she was going to get enough food in her. And so we step backwards. Okay, hey God, I, I, I know the way you provided that job when I, I thought I was lost. And so we move backwards. And so we we look at what God has done in our life and thus we move confidently forward. If you are going to overcome fear, look at what God's done in your past. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Look to your past. Fourthly, remember your position. Remember your position. Uh, Probably a a better position way of putting this point is remember the identity given to you, but that didn't have a P in it. And I was fearful if I didn't have one of those in in the sermon. So anyways, but remember what God's done for you. Remember the identity he's, he's given to you. See, you can get personal, you can locate your priority. You can remember your past, but I think the fear we still face internally is, how do I know God's not going to abandon me this time? Right? So yeah, I get it. He did it before. But how, what about this time? See, we, we, we can make God our one thing, but, but we wonder, God, really, am I yours? And I think the reason we feel that is because we have this sense of guilt and, and shame in our lives. We recognize that we've not lived up to God's standards. We've barely lived up to our own standards. So why why should this good and gracious God care care for me this time moving forward? Verse, Verse 10 says this. David says, My father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. See, even if the unlikeliest of people were to abandon David, maybe his parents abandoned him here. We're not sure. Maybe this is just the way he felt in this moment. Whatever the case, David's saying, look, even if the very two people that should be the least likely of people to forsake me, David says, God, I know you won't do that. And the reason David has that confidence is because um, he, he roots it in the very nature of God. Throughout this psalm, David uses the very name of God to speak about God. He uses that word, Lord. That word, Lord, in our Bibles is, is the name God has given for himself, Yahweh. He, he is the covenant-keeping God, the God who is faithful and steadfast and, and loyal, right? For, so for God to no longer be loyal would, for, would be for God to not be God, Yahweh cannot be unfaithful to David. That that's just not possible. But we also know this about God. God is just and right and fair. And we see the guilt in our life and we go, "God, I realize the enemies aren't just out there. The evil is not just out there. The darkness is not just out there. It's also in here." And so God What do I do if I'm your enemy? And so God says, I'm going to deal with that. That the steadfast covenant-keeping God sends his one and only son. Jesus comes and Jesus, the Bible says, walks right into fear. He, he, he planned it. He orchestrates it. He, he arranges his very own crucifixion, the most horrific death possible. He plans it, and he walks right into it. And you know, when he's right there, and the very person that he doesn't want to forsake him, forsakes him. He walks into fear, and God is not there this time. Jesus cries out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he dies, and the skies go dark. The light is gone. Where do we go now? The Bible says the reason God forsook his very own son was so that he would no longer have to forsake us right? So our sin transferred to Jesus. Jesus paid for our sin on the cross. So that now when God sees me, he sees me as his very own son. He looks at us as his sons and, and daughters. We belong to, to the family of God. And so now we know whatever our past, whatever our sin, whatever our struggle, whatever our failure, whatever the darkness in our heart, it's been paid for. And so we no longer have to fear being forsaken. God is always with us. In John Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress, um, the, the story consists of a man named Christian, and he's traveling from, the, uh, from his city, which is the city of destruction, and he's heading to uh, the celestial city. It's an it's a allegory of the Christian life. And on this journey, he's given a, a number of different tools or different supplies for, for his trip. Um, do, do you know what his most valuable tool is? He, he will face giants, lions, and dragons. He will have to cross rapids, swamps, and bogs. Danger will surround him on every side. And his most valuable tool, it's a scroll the one thing he wants most desperately is to make sure a scroll is in his hand because on that scroll is written that he belongs to the great king and that no matter the outcome, whatever it may be, he will ultimately end up alongside of him. As long as we know our identity, as long as we know that we are those who belong to the great king, we need not fear. Whatever it is, he will not forsake us. Lastly, um, to face fear, you have to be patient. Verse 13 and 14 says this, I believe that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then he gives an instruction, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And David knows here, waiting is hard, which is why he says, be strong and let your heart take courage, right? It's, it's going to be hard to wait. So take courage, be strong. See, see one, of those, the, one of the things that those pieces, those things in our life that go up in flames, those identity pieces that we want to hold on to so tightly, one of the things that they do is they lie to us. What they tell us is if you just devote a little bit more time to me, if you take care, take care of me a little better, you look after me, think about me, dig in a little deeper, right? Th- then, then everything will be fine and, and your fear will be taken away. The problem, there's a couple problems. One of them is that sometimes it just doesn't work. No matter how hard you try, you just feel like you can't arrange all the pieces in your life, right? Even if you try and you just get everyone in their right spot, and you're just like, now no one move. And then someone moves and you're like, I can't do this, right? It's just this, on this hamster wheel of life. There's no end. And I think if, the, if we just devote more time to fixing things ourselves, we're actually just perpetuating the problem. We're saying that this ultimately just depends on me. And we just get more stressed and more anxious because I never know if I'm going to be enough to hold it all together. And so, and so David says, look, just wait. Just wait. Now, waiting here it isn't just this pass, passive thing, just like, oh, I just hope things come together. That's not the way the Bible talks about waiting. To, to wait is to to have this eager expectation. It's like you're, you're just about there. You just you know that you look in the corner and, and you see God coming through. C.S. Lewis, he, he gives this picture, I think, of what waiting is. C.S. Lewis was in this dark shed one day and, and he noticed this little beam of light coming through the little hole in the shed. And he says, waiting is not looking at that little tiny dot of light and being just overcome and, and by, the, by the darkness, and just wondering how everything's going to work out. It's not, it's not just sitting there and, and being consumed in the darkness. He says, instead, waiting is not looking at that little, little bit of light on the floor. It's actually looking up the beam. And you look th- along the beam, and you see outside, and you realize that outside there is only light. And that there is hope beyond. And that one day, no matter what, that light will break through and the darkness will be gone. Be patient because the Lord is my light, my salvation. So whom shall we fear? Let me pray for us. Father, we confess that um, we are fearful people and we fear things um, sometimes that are, yes, Lord, real and, and necessary. But Lord, sometimes we, we fear things that are sinful. We fear things because we're placing our identity and hope in them rather than in you. God, and so we pray Would you please forgive us? Lord, we thank you that because of Jesus, we know that we are forgiven. Lord, and that you will never forsake us. And that you who are the great I am, who not only died, but rose back to life, God. If you are with us, Lord, then we need not fear. Lord, even if death comes our way, Lord, and we do not trivialize that, for you hate death, Lord, but even if it comes our way, Lord, we know that in you, we shall live for forever. And so, Lord, we wait patiently for whatever little thing, Lord, little, large, medium, however big it is, Lord, we wait for you to act. But Lord, we also wait for Jesus to return. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly and make all things right. Be the light and salvation and stronghold of our lives, we pray in his name. Amen.